God's commands were challenged by men concerning their inheritance rights. Inheritance rights? What, what, what's this about? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We're discovering the Bible, the world's best-selling book. Numbers chapter 36. It's going to be a very interesting chapter today as we read it. We're going to do that in about three minutes' time. Stay there. Corey and Ryan are here. Corey? I'm focusing in on cities of refuge, what they were, and how they worked. Ryan? Well, today I'm looking at the declaration that the patriarch Jacob made over his two sons, Simeon and Levi. It wasn't an encouraging speech. Yep, that's <laughs> going to be a good one, I'll tell you right now. Okay, Janice? Today I want to talk about uh, being faithful to God's instructions. All right, take your Bible guide. If you don't have one, why not? We'll tell you how to get one in just a moment. And let's turn to the page, which has Numbers 36 on it from the Bible, the most important book of all, as we listen to what God says. Numbers 36, 1 through 9. Now the chief fathers of the families of the children of Gilead, the son of Maker, the son of Manasseh, of the families of the sons of Joseph, came near and spoke before Moses and before the leaders, the chief fathers of the children of Israel. And they said, The Lord commanded my Lord Moses to give the land as an inheritance by lot to the children of Israel. And my Lord was commanded by the Lord to give the inheritance of our brother Zelophehad to his daughters. Now if they are married to any of the sons of the other tribes of the children of Israel, then their inheritance will be taken from the inheritance of our fathers, and it will be added to the inheritance of the tribe into which they marry. So it will be taken from the lot of our inheritance. And when the jubilee of the children of Israel comes, then their inheritance will be added to the inheritance of the tribe into which they marry. So their inheritance will be taken away from the inheritance of the tribe of our fathers. Then Moses commanded the children of Israel according to the word of the Lord, saying, What the tribe of the sons of Joseph speaks is right. This is what the Lord commands concerning the daughters of Zelophehad, saying, Let them marry whom they think best, but they may marry only within the family of their father's tribe. So the inheritance of the children of Israel shall not change hands from tribe to tribe, for every one of the children of Israel shall keep the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. And every daughter who possesses an inheritance in any tribe of the children of Israel shall be the wife of one of the family of her father's tribe so that the children of Israel each may possess the inheritance of his fathers. Thus, no inheritance shall change hands from one tribe to another, but every tribe of the children of Israel shall keep its own inheritance. Numbers chapter 36, verses 1 through 9. Again, this is Numbers. I love the book of Numbers. It's so wonderful. There's so many specific things in it. And uh, Moses wrote this under the influence of the Holy Spirit. It is really, really 
good. In Numbers 36, the tribe of Manasseh was concerned with the law that allowed daughters of a father to inherit his land. Wait a minute, what's that about? Well, this meant that the land of the tribe could be given to other tribes through the marriage of these daughters. God answers to this problem and maintained the integrity of the daughters as a worthy inheritance while providing the loss of tribal land. Now, today, our moral and social obligations aren't tribal, patriarchal, for example, or land is not based on that reality that changes everything. However, even though God was dealing with a totally different culture and situation than our own, we can still see his morality being revealed to us. It allows us to apply God's ways to our own culture and issues, different as they are from ancient Israel's. Now, God opened his kingdom and promised to all the cultures through the saving work of Jesus Christ. We don't have to become Jewish to be saved, but we do have to ensure that all of our cultures, unique with quirks and pitfalls, conform to God's ways through the work of his Holy Spirit. Now, the question would be, how do you discover those ways? The answer clearly seems to be through reading his word. And that's what this program is all about. So I want to thank everybody who have been partnering with us and given to this program so that we can share God's word with the world. Now, we are trying our best and we're, we're trying to get it right. We're asking the Lord to help us and his Holy Spirit to teach us. But I just want to thank you and take the opportunity to say that because it's so good to be able to teach God's word to people. And, uh, you know, many of the stations we pay for airtime. So thank you for supporting us. Very good. Now, let's look at the Bible guide. If you don't have a Bible guide, write to us. Call us. Go to Bible Discovery TV and we'll send you one. Let's pray and ask the Lord to teach us and to show us what his way is. Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus Christ that you would show us your way and teach us your path. Thank you, Lord. You know, we've got ideas, but help us not to apply them here. Help us to listen to what your Holy Spirit says to us, especially today. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And we said together, amen and amen. Now, this is important and it's really, really interesting because as we look at this, the Lord begins to speak. Moses is writing this, but as he's writing it, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's look at the scripture. It says, now the chief fathers of the families of the children of Gilead, the sons of Makur, the sons of Manasseh, of the families of the sons of Joseph, came near and spoke before Moses and before the leaders, the chief fathers of the children of Israel. And they said, the Lord commanded my Lord Moses to give the land as an inheritance by lot to the children of Israel. And my Lord was commanded by the Lord to give the inheritance of our brother Zelophanhad to his daughters. Now, if they are married to any of the sons of the other tribes of the children of Israel, then their inheritance will be taken from the inheritance of our fathers, and it will be added to the inheritance of the tribe into which they marry. So it will be taken from the lot of our inheritance. And when the Jubilee, the year of the children of Israel comes, then their inheritance will be added to the inheritance of the tribe into which they marry, 
so that the inheritance will be taken away from the inheritance of the tribe of our fathers. Did you get that? And this could be a problem. And God's commands were challenged by men concerned about inheritance rights. There are times in difficult situations when the Lord speaks in surprising ways. God is the ultimate creative individual. And I find that there are times when it seems like there's no way to get out of it except to do something. And it seems like you can't do that because that's against God. That's when you pray. And when you pray, God gives you creative answers and he changes things. Now, I, there, there's just no way to say that except we have to pray in the spirit, capital S. That's Ephesians 6 verse 18. And we have to understand that, beloved. And so this is what's interesting. Now, with with that in mind, we read on in the scripture, and here's what it says. Then Moses commanded the children of Israel, according to the word of the Lord, saying, what the tribe of the sons of Joseph speaks is right. This is what the Lord commands concerning the daughters of Zelophehad, saying, let them marry whom they think is best, but they may marry only within the family of their father's tribe. Fascinating. God recognizes the daughters as unique with free will. Christians learn, Christ-like followers learn, that the Lord reveals his will inside our own limited decisions. (laughs) Isn't that something? I mean, you can can pray and you can think, well, I've got to make this decision. It's got to be right with God. And And then you learn that God does make you right with his law because his law is hard. And yes, but his law changes in our hearts, changes us. I can't explain how he does it, but God does it. It's just amazing creative work of how the Lord responds. Now, this is what I see here. And there's some more I see here because look at verse seven. It says, so the inheritance of the children of Israel shall not change hands from tribe to tribe. For every one of the children of Israel shall keep the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. And every daughter who possesses an inheritance in the tribe of the children of Israel shall be a wife of one of the family of her father's tribe, so that the children of Israel each may possess the inheritance of his fathers. Thus, no inheritance shall change hands from one tribe to another. But every tribe of the children of Israel shall keep its own inheritance. Now, here's what we say. God commanded the daughters to be recognized as responsible family leaders. The Lord speaks and gives authority specifically to family leadership. God gives authority to family leadership. I cannot emphasize this as much as I need to in today's world where family is a wreck. It is family is God's authority. There are two genders according to the Bible. I'm reading according to the Bible, male and female. And God has said to us, he said, the family is father and mother and children. And this is how the authority goes. Now, by the way, husbands, it says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Christ gave himself to the church. 
It's kind of different, isn't it? Everybody, all the husbands quote what the Bible says about the wives. It's not for you, husbands. That's for the wife. Look at what it says about the husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's very serious. And you have to say, what does it say about wives? Well, you read it for yourself. It's very, very interesting. The authority structure of the family comes from God. And we recognize that today. So our reading today in Numbers chapter 35 covers the cities of refuge. And it's a really interesting concept uh, for us today because we don't really have anything like this, at least in the modern West. So I want to take some time and really jump into Numbers 35 and its description of the cities of refuge and uh, kind of see how that plays out or was at least supposed to play out uh, in the promised land once the Israelites had gone in and settled and, and set these up. So let's take a look. The Bible records the ancient Israelite institution of cities of refuge. Incorporated into the law of Moses, these cities were to be an essential element of the Israelite justice system. They offered temporary sanctuary to people accused of murder and permanent asylum for those found guilty of manslaughter, the accidental killing of another human. In ancient Israel, the law called for anyone found guilty of murder to be executed, with no other ransom deemed acceptable. Capital punishment enforced the sanctity of human life and protected the land against ritual impurity. The belief was that human blood tainted the very land in which it was spilled. If Israel was to be a holy nation with God as their leader, atonement had to be made for every intentional murder, every intentional assault against the leadership of God who had outlawed murder. There were still regulations on this capital punishment. First, someone accused of murder could gain initial sanctuary and safety by either grabbing onto the horns of an altar dedicated to God or by running to a city of refuge. The accused must then stand trial in front of an assembly of Israelites. To receive a guilty verdict, they must either admit to the crime or have two or more witnesses testify to their guilt. If found guilty, they would be executed by the avenger of blood, believed to be a close relative of the murdered person. If proven that death was accidental, the killer's safety was to be protected by the assembly who would escort them to the nearest city of refuge. If they chose to leave the city limits at any point, the avenger of blood could kill them without consequence. If the high priest died during their lifetime, the guilt of the person charged with manslaughter would be considered paid for and they would go free. The scriptures identify six cities of refuge, three on the east side of the Jordan River and three on the west side of the river. According to modern scholars, their placement meant that wherever you were in ancient Israel, you were no more than 30 miles or a full day's walk away from a city of refuge. Nevertheless, there must have arisen circumstances that necessitated a faster solution for temporary safety. And there are a few biblical examples. 
Adonijah, son of King David and rival to his half-brother King Solomon, ran to the horns of the altar, and initially he was granted clemency, later to be killed. The disgraced army commander Joab was also initially granted sanctuary by grabbing onto the horns of the altar. He, too, was later killed for his crimes. These instances demonstrate and clarify the quick reference to altar sanctuary found in Exodus 21 verse 14, which likely supplied Israel before the Promised Land with a way to follow the murder laws. This was, of course, before the establishment of the cities of refuge. There you go. Now, these are going to come into play in a few of the later narrative stories uh, as we continue on through the Old Testament. So it's good to kind of have a primer and an understanding of how these work. Yeah, very interesting, Corey. Thank you so much, Ryan. Well, today we wrap up the book of Numbers, and it's in these closing chapters that we read about the cities where the Levites were to settle, as Corey was already talking about. And this inheritance of the tribe of Levi actually goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 49. It's here where the patriarch Jacob blesses his sons, who of course became the 12 tribes of Israel. But his declaration to his two sons, Simeon and Levi, was not a blessing, but rather a judgment. Check it out. In Genesis chapter 49, the dying Jacob calls for his sons to proclaim a final blessing upon them. However, this will be much more than the standard patriarchal blessing. This will be a prophecy that will develop in the course of the history of the 12 tribes. In fact, for Simeon and Levi, this would be no blessing at all. Beginning in verse 5, Jacob addresses both sons. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly, for they have killed men in their anger and hawked oxen as they pleased. Cursed be their anger so fierce and their fury so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. Jacob begins this declaration to Simeon and Levi by stating their relationship. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Indeed, these two were full brothers, both sons of Jacob's wife Leah. Their swords are weapons of violence, remarks Jacob. Here, Jacob notes their unhealthy predisposition towards violence, a reference to their earlier vengeance against the city of Shechem for their sister's rape. For this, Jacob disassociates himself from the deeds of Simeon and Levi. Let me not enter their council, he proclaims. Let me not join their assembly, for they have killed men in their anger and hawked oxen as they pleased. For the rape of Dinah, Simeon and Levi conspired together and slaughtered every male in the city of Shechem, and hawked their oxen to boot. To hawk an animal means to cut the tendons of the ox so that they could no longer continue working. So rather than taking the oxen as spoil, they maimed them, rendering them both useless and helpless. Cursed be their anger, declares Jacob, so fierce and their fury so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. In keeping with the judgment, neither tribe received its own territory in the Promised Land. Their territories were within the territory of other tribes. They did not receive their own tribal holdings. Simeon turned out to be the weakest tribe in number. In the first census, his tribe numbered 59,300. But in the second census, it went all the way down to 22,200. And interestingly, Simeon is altogether omitted from the tribal blessings of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 33. 
When the Jews did get the land of Israel, Simeon settled not in his own territory, but in the southern part of Judah's territory. As far as Levi is concerned, his tribe did side with Moses in the sin of the golden calf, but in keeping with Jacob's curse, Levi did not receive his own territory. Rather, the tribe of Levi was scattered in 48 different Levitical cities throughout the other tribes of Israel. So because of the actions of Simeon and Levi against Shechem, their descendants would pay the consequences. The tribe of Simeon became the least in number, and the Levites never received their own inheritance. Although the tribe of Levi wisely sided with Moses in the sin of the golden calf, and so they were graciously set apart later for God's special service. They were the tribe, really, of Moses and Aaron. And so it's interesting, this whole thing. They had about, you look at numbers, and they had about 22,000 people. But it really is fascinating when you look at the numbers. Yeah, absolutely it is. Really something. Okay, very good. Janice? I love this chapter about uh, marriage of the female heirs here in Numbers (laughs) chapter 36. We'll be in Deuteronomy tomorrow. Tomorrow. That's what I'm looking down and here we are in Deuteronomy, but not yet. This special chapter talking about the daughters of Zelophehad and whether they would be able to inherit rights as a son would. And so it's a really interesting chapter to read through. But what I want to highlight on today is being faithful to God's instructions, because the bottom line was for these women that they could, in fact, be heirs Uh, of this land, but there was a stipulation that they were to marry men of their choice, but it would need to be from the tribe that they were from. So they could marry anybody that they wanted within that tribal group. And so what I find really interesting is that we learn that they did and were faithful to what God had instructed. They didn't say, oh, well, I'm going to do what I want to do. It says here, starting in verse 10 of Numbers chapter 36, just as the Lord commanded Moses, so did the daughters of Zelophehad. For Mala, Terza, Hagla, Milcah, and Noah, the daughters of Zelophehad, were married to the sons of their father's brothers. They were married into the families of the children of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, and their inheritance remained in the tribe of their father's family. Verse 13, these are the commandments and the judgments which the Lord commanded the children of Israel by the hand of Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. So we see the stipulation that these men brought forward, the the leaders of the tribe, um, with what to do with the land, because even in the year of Jubilee, things would go back, but it wouldn't if these women had married outside the tribe. So we see God coming to um, bring a message that actually gave these women the rightful heirs like the sons did. And I think that's really cool. Now, what about us? Do we... How do we view the Bible? How do we view God's opinion and God's instructions? Are we going to be like the daughters of Zelophehad and follow God's instructions? Or are we going to say, well, I think I can do it my way because God's got to love me, right? Um, What do you think? Opening it up here to the table. What what do you think? Let me make this comment then. I had the interview. But what's interesting to me is that they speak in clans and they speak in tribes and they speak in families. Yes. 
God speaks to the families. And I think that's very important to remember that. Now, in today's world where the family's just messed up and everything's crazy, uh, they, how do you speak to the families? And so God speaks to the families. That's important to remember. Okay, go ahead, guys. What do you think? <laughs> well, what I think is really interesting about this is that because they were living in a patriarchal society, the daughters of Zalava had probably felt like they didn't have any other option ra- other than to just go straight to God because probably everyone else's answer would have been like, no, that's silly. We'll, we'll divide it up. It'll be fine. You'll be fine, right? You don't need this. But instead they go to God because they trust in his justice. And, and that was probably their only real recourse. That's what they felt. But even though they may have kind of been culturally forced into that situation where they felt like they needed to go before God, they followed it, they followed they it, followed which, it. Mm-hmm. which is to their credit. But I think it serves as a really good example for later people who didn't do that, where we see them forced into these situations where we can see from a human standpoint, yeah, you have a point. What you are going through was unjust, but... We'll kind of see later on, and right now in my head, I'm thinking about David's son, Absalom. He saw injustice in his family, and he saw David involved in injustice. But rather than taking that to God Mm -hmm. and asking for God's help, Absalom decides to use his own strength to try to correct the problem. We'd have a completely different history of David, I think, and his family and Absalom if Absalom had taken it to God rather than tried to use his own strength. So I think the daughters of Zelophehad here really serve as a good example where even if you're not forced culturally to go to God as your ultimate authority, you should. You should. It's a really yes. good idea. And, and then be willing to do what he says, trust in his justice. It's a great reminder that they went, and it must have been, terrifying for the daughters to go talk to Moses. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you just didn't do that, but they went in and they, they were bold and they talked to him. They said, listen, we're going to lose our property. This is not right. And you know, Moses went to the Lord and God said, they're right. And it's stunning. It's very, very interesting. But it is true. What Corey is saying in our walk with God, this is how we develop that relationship and that mm-hmm. trust in him is that when we struggle and we have questions, we go to God and we need to learn to trust in him and his word. I just want to say thank you to all of the folks who have written to us, ask for a Bible guide, because this program is supported by partners just like you, and that really, really helps us. And uh, may God bless you. And Father, I pray today for everybody who has become a partner, uh, and a partner is somebody who gives to this ministry. I want to thank you for them and help them today, Lord, in this time when it's very difficult. 
I pray that you would bless them and help them according to your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we all said together, amen.